Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Church, a place of grace. Sit back, relax, and listen in. up in the prayer and then uh, get right into it. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, I just want to thank you for uh, this moment. God, I want to thank you for your blessings. Lord, I'm asking you at this moment that uh, you will speak through the heart of myself and uh, Minister Dwayne. Lord God, I pray that you will bless us and that, uh, that your Holy Spirit will work through us, O oh Lord. Lord, it is not our words, but it is your words, O oh God. May your words speak right through us in the name of Jesus. And may our ears be open and be able to hear what you called us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day. So uh, I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be up here for too long, uh, you know, but cause, uh, Minister Dwayne is going to come up here as well. But we have been blessed for the fact that we have a double or shall I say, back-to-back sermon. And um, we're just going to dive in, and we're going to share to you some of our life experiences, some of these that we've experienced in our own life as men. And um, for me, it's not going to be only about uh, about men specifically, but I'm going to also touch base on some of the things that you know God wants everyone to hear today. Um, so going to start off with a little bit of life story for me. Growing up, there was always this one thing, this one thing that stumped me, this one question that stumped me throughout my life in elementary school, in high school, and that question was, who is your role model? And I remember, I can think back, my elementary school teacher asking everyone in a class, all right, everybody, we're going to take a session right now, we're going to stop from work. And uh, I need you to take out a piece of paper and a pen and write down who your role model is, who inspires you. And I just thought to myself, oh, man, not again. And I just thinking, I'm just thinking, who is my role model? Who's that one person? And, you know, finish up, and I still don't have somebody in my mind yet. And I'm like, oh, man. So a couple of my classmates go, oh, me, 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 Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. And, you know, back then, everybody, you know, wanted to be like Mike. So Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, next person, Michael Jordan. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't pick Michael Jordan. I don't want to jump on a bandwagon. So I think to myself and say, okay. And then I hear somebody say, you know, another person, I'm like, all right, I don't know, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, maybe I could say maybe my parents, maybe, you know, or my sisters. I'm like, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm going to look too soft. If I say that, I'm going to look too soft, you know, because, you know, back then, or at least growing up in elementary school, you're like eight years old, and even though you're eight-year-old and your parents will still tuck you in at night, you don't want to look like you're soft in front of your friends. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ego, you know, and it's a lot of, you know, you want to look tough, you know? So um, it came to me, and then, you know, I thought to myself, I was like, okay, okay, and the teacher asked, and I said, who's that guy on the calendar? Who's that person? Martin Luther King Jr. And, 
and that was the safest person I can go to. I, I mean, I could have chose Stokely Carmichael uh, but from Black Panthers, but I thought, okay, maybe that would be too much. You know, that would be turning heads. I mean, I, could, I just probably could have chose Malcolm X, but I said, you know, Martin Luther King. But then after that, years later, uh, this question came up in high school, and it came up in college, and it came up with me applying as an RA in college as well. And it was a question, you know, who is your role model? And I thought, okay, who inspires me? Who motivates me? Who, you know, pushes me, you know, to be where I am or to make me want to do this and that? And then I realized I was focusing too much on that one person. I was thinking about one person, and I realized, you know what? I have so many role models, so many people that I can say they're father figures, there's so many people that I've learned from. And when I ask myself, why is that? Why are these people have one role model and I'm having so many role models? Is there something unstable about me? Is there something that, you know, I just am very indecisive or I don't know, what is it? But that was a moment that I believe Jesus spoke to me. And he said, the reason you think you have so many role models is because I am your role model. But I point you to people who possess Christ-like characteristics that I desire to see in you. And when I, when I heard that, and I, I, I said, wow, that just blew me away. I said, man, that's right. Jesus is my role model. I see these people, and the reason why I'm attracted to maybe something that they do or something they say or something that they, the way they act is because that is what God desires to see in me, myself. They possess those Christ-like characteristics. So I'm here to tell all the men that if you desire and you want to be a man, I'm not talking about a man on a sitcom or a man, you know, on a reality TV show that you might see sometimes. I'm talking about a man. Man, you have to become a man of God. And if you want to become, if you want to come close to understanding your role as a man, you really need to see what God is saying to you, what God is trying to speak to you in your life. It says in the scriptures, you know, it talks about, talks to the husbands that, you know, husbands, you know, treat your wife as you like to be treated. You know, love your wife the way you like. You, you also want to be loved as well. It talks also as well to, um, to, to, other, to, to us that, you know, we need as men, well, it doesn't say specifically as men, but it says that we need to, when we see other younger women, we need to look at them as if they were our sisters. Treat them as if they were our sisters with absolute purity. It even talks about younger, young, older women as well and how we need to look at them as mothers and treat them as mothers. And I have, a, I have a, another story to tell you. When I was uh, in uh, college, one of my campus pastors one time uh, was telling us, a group of people, he said, you know, I was talking to a group of students, and I told them, um, I read them the scriptures in First Timothy, it was First Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, and it talked about, um, you know, treating younger, younger women as your sisters. And he said, you know, I, I told him about it. And then one student came out of nowhere and he said, oh, excuse me, excuse me. Um, so does that mean that um, if you're saying that I have to treat younger women as my sisters, you know, I share my bed with my sisters sometimes, you know, from time to time, you know. So does that mean that I can invite other women to my bed because, you know, I, I, mean, I treat them like my sisters, right? And, <laughs> and it was like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Obviously, he wasn't getting it the right way. He was either joking or he just wasn't getting it the right way. But that's not what it was talking about there in the scriptures. What it was saying there was that we need to treat younger women 
with absolute purity in a sense of how Christ treats us with unconditional love and sharing that love that he has with us. We need to come out and be able to look after some of our sisters, some of, uh, some of our uh, younger women, even older women, and love them in the way of unconditional love, laying down your life, laying down your time for them, even older women. And when it says that about love, when it's talking about love, when it talks about love and loving your wife and also the love that you should share also with other women as well, not talking about the romantic love, but unconditional love, he's talking about laying down your life. And I'm not saying laying down your life where, you know, you're, you, know you risk your life and, you know, in the middle of, of nowhere or whatever. I'm talking about when he says lay down your life, he means sacrificing your time, your time for other people. And there's moments when we experience in our life that, you know, there's so, so many precious things that we want to hold on to, so many things that we need to go and do, we need to do this, we need to do that. And we don't realize that we just need to just slow down and look at what other people need, what their needs are and help them, and also just take your time to share with them. And that's what it's talking about there, you know. And not only that, but also what's in your mind and how you look at them, how you think of them. So we really, really need, as men, to just focus on those two scriptures, because those two scriptures are very important in understanding your role as a man. Now, um, I'm gonna, let me just get a little more transparent here. I'm going to be real, I'm going to be honest, you know. There were moments in my life where I didn't feel as much love for my father as I hoped I would feel. And I'm going to say this. In those moments, I turned to God. And when I turned to God and I asked him for comfort, he provided. Whenever there's a lack, wherever there's a lack of something, God provides. He puts people into your life. And I thank God for my parents, I thank God for my sisters, and I thank God for God because he also puts people in your life who can see things inside of you that you can't see yourself, good and bad. And I want to thank God for that. And I just want us to be a little bit more sensitive to that because there are people in our lives right now who may be telling us, okay, this is what I see in you, or, you know, this is what you need to do, or this is the direction you need to follow, but... You know, sometimes we don't realize that these people are really trying to help us, trying to get us on a right path so that we can be who God called us to be. And I know it's true. There's some people who are on the wrong way, but you know those people in your life that you can trust, those people that can speak into your life. And those people we need to have an open ear to. I remember uh, one time when I was young, when I was very young, I was about 15 years old, there were so many things going on in my mind, and I, you know, I thought to myself, I said, you know, I've been praying to God for, you know, A's. I've been praying to God that this girl will speak to me. I've been praying to God for this and that. You know, and then I say, you know what? I'm just tired of that. I'm tired of praying about the same thing over and over again. I want this. I want that. I want that. It's like, God is not a genie. Why am I praying for all these things? And I say, you know what? I need to pray about what I really, really, really want. And I say, God, I want wisdom. And I remember that point when I prayed that. It was just right after I had read the book of Kings where Solomon was, uh, was, uh, was uh, speaking to God. And God asked Solomon, you know, what can I bless you with? How can I bless you? What do you need? And Solomon's like, you know what? There's all these things in this world, but you know what? I want wisdom. 
God, bless me with wisdom. God, bless me with understanding. And I thought to myself, I need wisdom. I need understanding because there's so many things in this world. There's so many things I see. There's so many things, pressures and things like that, especially when you're going through high school as well. There's a lot of peer pressure. There's a lot of things that people will try to say to you, or, you know, and you're trying to become yourself and call, become the self that God has called you to be. And, uh, and I, I remember that moment, and I asked God for wisdom, and I saw how God blessed me, directed me, and brought me to the path where I am today. So some of you might be saying right now, you know, okay, you said that. You said, you know, that basically you can't be a man, you know, unless you become a man of God. And some of you might be saying, well, I mean, come on, really? I mean, I can be a man. Or maybe you might think of what other people might say to you too as well, that, yeah, I can still be a man even without God. I mean, I can do good things, right? I can, you know, help here and help there. And that's true. There are people who can act moral, who can do certain things and act certain ways without ever even acknowledging Christ. I mean, we know that. We see that in our lives. But there's a difference between good standards and godly standards. And, and, and it's, 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 just, it's just true just the way we live. If we say to ourselves, you know what, well, we're just going to be good men. We're going to do what we think we're required to do. You know, and, you know, maybe we know we pray to God, but, you know, there's so too many things that God is asking of us to do, but we're just going to hold off on that. But we're just going to, you know, just, you know, be, be all right. Do, do be average, you know. If we, if we say that, I'm telling you, we're selling ourselves short as men. We are selling ourselves short because God has a higher standard for us. He has a higher standard for us. And it's not just what we see here and there. If you're saying to yourself, that I'm just going to focus on this way, this way that everybody follows. You know, I'm going to look to what other men are doing. You know, I'm not going to acknowledge what God is calling me to. I'm just going to look to how their lifestyle is. You know, they're doing this, they're doing that. Okay, maybe I'll just do that, you know, and forget about God. That, in a sense, is going the wrong path. Because if you think about it, how are we, the people who were created, we're creation, we were created. I don't think man created man. From what I understand, God created man. And we're coming about this and we're saying we're going to look to other people for answers, for understanding of how we should live. When in, in all of, in the, in the truth of the matter is, God created us. When something creates another thing, it puts purpose into it. It puts a role into it. It puts an understanding into it. It knows why that thing was created. If you're going to something else besides your creator to understand what you're being created for, you're going in the wrong path. You're not going in the right path because God has created you for a reason. He knows why you're here. He knows what you want you to do. He knows what's good for you. But if you're just saying, okay, you know what? I'm just going to follow this way and forget about God, you're just selling yourself short. You are really selling yourself short. And I just want to, you know, thank God for the gathering men in this church because there are some mighty men in this church. For example, Brother Willie, I love it. How every time when we talk about men, Brother Willie talks, about, talks real about how men need to be transparent with each other. It's a little bit more transparent. You know, sometimes we try to hold tight and say, you know, yeah, I'm good, I'm all right, you know, I'm cool, you know. But we just need to be a little more transparent because God, because we won't, this is the deal. Let me just tell you. Self cannot help self, okay? The problem cannot fix the problem. It cannot solve the problem. All right? Only, hold on. One plus one, right? You take one plus one. Are you going to ask one plus one to solve itself? 
One plus one, just solve yourself. <laughs> Think about when your computer crashes and something breaks down. Are you going to ask the computer, oh, computer, uh, deal with that. You know, you know how to fix yourself. You're going to take care of it and everything like that. No. When your computer crashes, when something breaks, you need somebody to go in there and tell the computer, this is what you need to do in order to make things right. This is how you need to do it. And a computer will know, has, has the programming already in order to do those things, but it just needs the direction and a path and understanding where it needs to go. So, 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 the problem solver, all right, can only fix the errors in a problem because it can see errors in a problem that the problem cannot see itself. Jesus is our problem solver. Jesus is not only our problem solver, but he is our role model, okay? And, that's, and he's the one who's going to help us to get where we need to be. It says in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28, don't move the ancient boundary stones that your forefathers have laid down. Now, the reason why I'm going here is because of the fact that so many boundary stones have been knocked and pushed in this world today. For one, for one instance, I'm going to take somebody. We all know him. Um, his name is Will Smith. Will Smith, I mean, I loved him in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You know, he was great and everything, and I still like a lot of his movies that he does. But the moment that he accepted an open marriage is the moment that he made a big mistake in his life. Now, maybe you don't know, but he, when, when him and his wife, Jada Pinkett, decided to take their marriage vows, they said that they weren't going to forsake all others, but instead... If they wanted to do something, they're going to tell each other that they're going to do something before they do that thing, if you know what I mean. So, obviously, we have people like that. Now, I'm going to go, this is going to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 to 14. And uh, it's going to go there right now so I can read the scripture that's going to pinpoint a little bit more onto what I'm talking about here. Um, I know you guys have your Bible, so <clears throat> whenever you, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 to 14. When everybody's there, say amen. amen. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are, dis- and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, you know, when you're rich, you know, you got all the things, you got mansions and things like that, you have, you know, courts in your backyard, you know, everything. And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver, gold, and your gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. We all have in Egypt in our life a land of slavery where God has brought us out of, where God has given us victory, where God, where things has happened in our life and we said, oh my gosh, I've tried this, I've tried that, i tried that, i tried that, and it still didn't work. And then all of a sudden, we do this one thing, we pray to God, we fast, we believe, and everything happens. And God shows up in our life, and things change. This is what it's talking about here. And then it goes down, if you go down to chapter, uh, sorry, verse 17 to 18, it says, You may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. 
but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. We must not move the ancient boundary stones that God that the, for our forefathers have laid down. We have to stand up as men and say, no, it's not going to happen that way. This is what we believe in. This is what we're going to stand by. This is who we're going to show in the, to the world that we are. We're not going to be one person here and one person over there. We're going to be that same person everywhere. This is the time that God has called us to do those things because there's only one life that we have to live. There's not another time where we have that chance to do that. This is the time, this is the moment right now where we can stand up. And I'm not talking about being just, you know, holy and thou and just say, yeah, I'm perfect and I'm great because none of us are perfect. I'm just talking about bringing you to where you are and not compromising it, not selling yourself short. We as men must stand up and not sell ourselves short in this world. But then you might be saying, of course, Will Smith, right? Because, you know, he's in Hollywood. You know, everybody in Hollywood, they get married today, and the next day, you know, it's like, I know you, you know, you're nothing to me. And we're going to, you know, we think that, oh, yeah, you know, it's just, that's the way it is. You know, this world is just, you know, messed up. Well, you know how, like, when you turn to TV, you turn to Channel 7, and, you know, you watch the 11 o'clock news or 5 o'clock news or so, and then you see uh you know, all the news, all the bad news and stuff that's all in your face. You know, that person got murdered, that person got murdered, that person got murdered, that person got raped, that person got murdered, that person got murdered. All in your face. You're like, man. And in the last, like, five minutes, like, you got sports and you got uh, a weather. Some good news. Sometimes it may not be good news because your team might lose. <coughs> Miami Heat or Oklahoma City. But anyways. <laughs> Don't worry. It's an even series right now. We're going to find out what's going to happen tonight. It's all right. So, um... Yeah, so we see all those things, and we think, you know what? There's nothing good that's going on in this world. But the truth of the matter is that there's so much bad that's put up in our face, and there's so many good things happening in this world, but we just don't see it. we got to look for it, and we can find it, but we just sometimes we just don't see it. The miracles that God is doing in this world, but we do not, do not see it. We don't see it. And I'm here to tell you that the idea that people in Hollywood, that there's no good for them, that, you know, they have marriages that end the next day, it's a lie. It's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. There are things that happen like that, but there are so many marriages that are holding strong and are holding close to the word of God. One person, I can give you one example, Denzel Washington. He's been married for 28 years, 28 years has four children, married to his wife, Pauletta. Pauletta, I believe, was, uh, was a uh, North Carolina pageant in the Miss USA or so. And that's what, that time that he had met her, back in like 1983 or so. And uh, he said, I'm going to go one second. He says, first of all, he's, very, he's developed a strong relationship with Christ, right? And he said that... Uh, here. My father was a Pentecostal minister for 50 years. We would say prayers for everything and end with, amen, God is love. I thought God is love was like one word, God is love. I didn't really realize, and this is actually in the uh, article on the Post Chronicles, so he, you know, he, he put himself out there and he said this. He says, um, I didn't realize what it meant. I'm still learning. But the fundamental message in the Bible 
which I've read three times from front to back, along with some of the Quran and the Torah, if you don't practice love, you're missing the point. I believe in love thy neighbor. Then he goes on to say, I'm sitting around in my big house with all this stuff asking myself, what do you want? You got everything. What do you want, Denzel? After winning all those Academy Awards and, you know, everything that he's done. And he says, it hit me like a brick. I thought, I want wisdom and understanding. And he says, I was talking to a buddy of mine who runs the Boys and Girls Club in the town where I grew up. He's also a pastor, and he said, Denzel, go back to Proverbs chapter 4. I told my wife, and she said, yeah, my father lived by that. Basically, it says that wisdom is supreme. Get wisdom and understanding, even though it costs all your possessions. I thought, that's a life book right there. That's just one example. So after saying all this, you know, there are times as men, and you might be feeling this right now, and I'm about to wrap up real quick, a few minutes. You might be saying this right now, you know, I just, I don't feel good enough, you know? I mean, I do this for my family. I've done this and that. And um, I just don't feel like I'm doing enough. I just don't feel like everything's going the way it should be. I just, you know, I'm, I just... I can't do this, really, you know? And I know even sometimes in my life where I I come to myself and I say, you know, wow, you know, I don't feel like, you know, I'm good enough to do this and that or be able to accomplish things like this. But you know what? You're never going to be good enough. You will never be good enough because it is through Christ that you can do all things. It is through Christ and the reason because of God that you have the strength to do certain things. And it's because of God that you're more than good enough. Us men, we are more than good enough. We are great men, all right? And and I'm saying this because you're going to come in a point in your life where you're going to feel like, and maybe you might feel this right now, that, man, it's not, not good enough. But another person in Hollywood, This guy's name is Devon Franklin. Devon Franklin is currently engaged to Megan Good. If you know who Megan Good is, Megan Good, uh, she's done Jump in a Broom. She's been in Think Like a Man. And he is 33 years old. He worked at Sony Pictures as an assistant. And within years, currently right now, he's an executive vice president of Sony Pictures. Not only is he an executive vice president, but he's also a minister as well. Some people say, oh, yeah, you know, we need to leave that world and just, you know, keep it all here in the church. But God wants us to go out there and make a difference. And now this is what he said. He said, your life is like a movie. He said, if you give up now, you're going to miss out on that next scene where you triumph. Think right now in your life. How many times when you could have gave up, when you could have said that, it's not going to happen. I cannot do this. I cannot pass this thing. I cannot make this thing where I cannot make this happen in my life. And then the next moment, you did this, you did that, and you triumphed. You triumphed. And that's what he's saying there. If we give up now, think about uh, uh, movies like Remember the Titans or, uh, or um, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. 
What if the movie ended in 20 minutes? You came there, you wanted to see a story. You want to see something happen. All of a sudden, it ended in 20 minutes. That's it. Bye. Can you imagine that? How would you feel? Like, man, I came here to experience something, and all I just see is something in 20 minutes, and that's it. Your movie ends in 20 minutes. God's not calling our movie to end in 20 minutes. How many goes for 100 minutes, right? 100 years, even more. But that's, that's the idea. That's, that, that, that's the mindset that we have to have, that if we give up now, we're going we're to miss out on all the great things that God has, has, has called us to, that he's going to give us. If we say, you know what, you know, I just can't do this God thing anymore. You know, I just can't, you know, uh, uh, believe in this. I can't do this. I can't do that. And God is calling us to it. We're going to miss out on what God has called us to, on the experience that he has called us to experience in our life. So I have a question to ask you all and a challenge. Are there people we call our role models? You know, are there, are, do we have these role models? Who are they? And if we have these role models, you know, what is it in them that we desire to see in ourselves? I'm just hoping that whoever it is, that that person lines up with the word of God. Okay? Because the truth of the matter is, we all have role models. We all have examples and people that we follow. The question for you is, who are you following? And that's the question you have to ask yourself throughout this week. You know, who am I following? Who's inspiring me? Who's making me move this way? What is it? Or which people? Or, you know, who is God directing me to? Because when it comes down to it, Jesus Christ, yes, he is our role model. And he points us to people to see so that we can follow them in that path. So lastly, you will be asking me, okay, so then, oh, who is your role model? Okay. Well, I can say I have many role models. But in my career, there's one role model. There's a guy named John. John worked for a company where he was highly praised. He did some great things. And it came to a point where John had this innovative idea. He said, you know, we need to start doing this. His company was like, uh, we don't see it that way. You're too young. You can't, no, we can't do that. We don't have the money. Just, we just can't really do that. Okay. So John goes around and he talks to another person. He says, yeah, we actually, no, we can do that. We can do that in the company. So he says, you know what, okay. So he starts implementing this new innovative idea. And then the company said, um, you know what, we, we, just, we still don't see the progress in this. We don't think this thing can happen. We don't think this thing's going to be able to work. So John walks away. They call him back and they say, within minutes, they call him back. They say, um, Sorry, John, but we have to let you go. So John was laid off. John's laid off. He goes back home, his family and everything, still with his innovative idea. But John does not give up on his innovative idea. Along the way comes a guy named Ed and a guy named George. And he says, John, that idea, that's the same thing we want to see in our company. You know what, why don't you come over here? You come over here. I mean, they didn't say these exact words, but this is what they were saying. This is sort of what they were, were saying in the whole thing. I want to cut it short for you. He said, why don't you come here? You know, this thing that you have, this interview that you, that you have, we want to see this in, in, in our company. Years later, this company becomes one of the most revered and respected company in the world. The name of this company? Pixar. John, his name is John Lasseter. He is responsible for Toy Story, Toy Story 2, A Bug's Life, and also as well, 
Incredibles, and all those movies that we've seen on the screen, all those animated movies. The guy named Ed, Ed is Ed Catmull. He's right now the executive of Pixar. And the guy, George, his name is George Lucas. George Lucas saw, saw the, the, the thing that John Lasseter saw. He saw his vision. He saw his dream. And John Lasseter did not let go of that. The company that laid John Lasseter off is Disney. Disney now are working, actually in 2006, Disney made a joint partnership with Pixar. And now, wherever you see Pixar is Disney's Pixar. Well, the good thing is that John is actually the, uh, the uh, I think he's like one of the executives, I think the uh, CEO of uh, Disney Animation. So it's not because of the success necessarily. It's not because of the, the fact that he worked at Pixar and, and he's an animator. I mean, that's great. I love that. But it's his story. It's the fact that he never gave up. And that's an inspiration to me. He believed in his idea and he made it happen and it happened. So I hope you have a, a, a role model in your life, and uh, may God bless you all. Minister, Minister Dwayne. Everybody, everybody clap for Minister Dwayne. Amen. Amen. Come on, come on. Give it. Amen. That was a good word, right? I think I am here for the benediction at this point. I don't think I need to add or take anything from that word. Amen? Do you agree, Pastor? <laughs> um, but that was a great word. Amen? Come on. Give all a big, big, big God bless you. Amen. Wow. I'm still playing in my head. Who's my role model? It's a big question. Who's my role model? I still don't know. It was my dad for sure. When I was growing up, it surely was not my dad. Um, I have a great dad, I must admit. Um, When I was growing up, we didn't have the best of relationships. Um, he was there. He was present every single night. He was never, he was not the dad who just don't come home. He was always present at home. But we just didn't have a great relationship. Um, it's funny though, since I've been asked to, to prepare for this sermon or this talk with you, that's when I realized how the impact that my dad has had on my life. I was close to my mom. Still close to my mom, speak to my mom almost every day. Not that often with my dad, probably once, twice a month or so. But it was when I was preparing for this that I realized the impact that my father has had on my life. You see, we should never underestimate the significance of a father's impact on a child. Never underestimate the significance of a father's impact on a child. Recently, I was listening to a current affairs program on NMSNBC. And I was listening to the commentators talk about the impact that fathers had on President Obama and on Mitt Romney. And I heard the most profound statement I've heard in a long time about fathers. 
President Obama said in his book, The Audacity of Hope, every man is trying to either live up to his father's expectation or make up for his father's mistakes. You're either living up to your father's expectation or making up for your father's mistake. And I must say, I have been on both sides. There are times when in my life I have been living for my I've been living to make up for my father's mistakes in certain areas of my life. And on the other side, I have tried my best to exceed his expectations. But it has been very, very trying. But I must admit, though, that now that I am a dad myself, my perception of my father has changed dramatically. I respect him a hundred times more. I don't know if it's because I see how hard it is, but it is exceedingly difficult to be a father. And it's exceedingly difficult to be a father who wants to be there. It's easy to be a father and not be there. But it's difficult to be a father who is there. If I can accomplish with my kids what my dad accomplished with us, I would, have, I would take it any day. I would have been a success, success story for sure. So, based on that, I wanted to share with you a couple of things that I've learned from my father. Um, I'm going to try and keep it short because um, time is well spent. Well, the first thing I learned from my father is don't preach long sermons. <laughs> I'm joking. But, but, <laughs> but my father was the guy who, who would be in church, honestly. And if it's too long, God bless you. See you next week. <laughs> he would be that guy who puts his finger up and he'd be out of there. But anyhow, all seriously. First thing I learned from my father is work won't kill you. Work won't kill you. When I was a child, I, I, we had chores. There was no questions asked. You were going to have chores. And we had to get chores done before we go to, schools, to school. And there were times when I would be complaining, of course. You know, my, my job was, I had a lot of jobs in, when I was a child. You know, I had to sit order my notice. Take the goat to the pasture. You know, a lot of stuff I had to do. But my father would always say, God created work. So don't run away from work. Indeed, Genesis 2, 2 says, And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. In my house, work was an action word. We had to work. No questions asked. Brothers, that's something we can never run from. We have to work. As men, that's our responsibility. My dad would always tell me, you have to do the heavy lifting in your house, son. You will have to do the heavy lifting. You have to work and work hard. We can't shy away from it. The Bible says in Genesis 3, as a consequence of men falling, that he will multiply the pain of a woman in childbirth while she gives birth to her babies. And to the man, he said, getting food from the ground would be as painful as having babies. In other words, the last time I checked, which was a couple of months ago, women are still having pain in childbirth. So, men, we still have to experience some kind of pain in work. There is no way around it. Absolutely no way around it. I know it's tough sometimes. I, I know there are times when you feel like giving up. You feel like quitting. But you have to continue doing it. So men, continue to be the provider. Continue to be the protector of your families. Continue to be the heavy lifter. 
Sometimes we're not appreciated as much as we should. Can I hear an amen for that one? You know, we take it for granted that the man should just go out and work. And nope, you know, we don't get the thank you. We don't get the accolade sometimes as mothers get. But don't, don't, don't slack off on your responsibility. Don't leave it to the state or the federal government. Don't leave it to your wife, your aunties, or grandparents. Take up your responsibility and do it with pride. Amen? The first thing, second thing I learned is laughter. It's okay to laugh at yourself. Don't take life so seriously. Please don't take life so seriously. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 22, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a cross spirit dries up the bones. Keep a joyful heart. Don't take your wives too seriously. Please don't take your wife too seriously. <laughs> when they get on your nerves, just smile and laugh. <laughs> and tell them a joyful heart is good medicine. <laughs> so no matter what life throws at you, don't take it too seriously. Keep on smiling. After all, the Bible says, all things work together for the good. Anyway, so keep on smiling at the storms of life when they come your way. Next thing I learned is take pride in what you do. Take pride in what you do. You see, when I was growing up, one of my things was my dad wanted me. I had to wash the bus in the mornings, and I had to clean his shoes. That was my job. I had to get up early, no matter what time my father is leaving, and wash the bus and clean his shoes. My father and uncle was in the transportation business, so they had to get up early and do all of that stuff. No, there are times when I would, you know, I get up and I really was not in the mood to wash the bus properly. And my guy would be on me. You need to do it properly. He said, if you're going to be a bus washer, be the best bus washer you can be. If you're going to be a shoe shiner, be the best shoe shiner you can be. But those are the things that I learned from my dad that I took. And when I was doing my, when I was going through school, if I was going to be an accountant, I was going to be the best one I can be. Whatever I do, I put all the energy and the effort in, in it to be the best that I can be. We have to be diligent. Whether you're going to be a father, be the best father you can be. If you're single and you're looking, prepare yourself to be the best man you can be for that woman when she comes. Don't, be, don't give it 50-50. Give 100% in what you do. Be diligent. Amen? Take pride in what you do for sure. Proverbs 10.4 says, a slack hand causes poverty. A slack hand causes poverty. But the hand of the diligent makes riches. Also, Proverbs 13.4 says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Brothers, I encourage you, continue to be diligent in what you do. Whether it's work, whether it's ministry, whether it's your academics, whether it's your family. Keep on giving 100%. The next thing I learned from my dad is, and I'm running here, I know. Stay humble. Stay humble. My parents are famous for saying to us as your kids, we had, I have three other siblings, don't let it get to your head. No matter how successful you get, don't allow it to get to your head. If, it's, if you excel in sports, if you excel as a husband, if you excel in your career, no matter what the title is, don't let it get to your head. Stay humble. You see, my parents knew that pride cometh before a fall. They knew that. Then I didn't know. I, you know, I was always upset. My parents just don't give me enough accolades. They don't, you know, 
Son, you are the best. I didn't get that. I didn't get, Son, you are the best. There's always something better that you can do. That was my father. James 4 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. It was Benjamin Franklin who told a story of um, a time when he went to visit an older man who he considered to be wise in his community. And he went down to the basement of of his house. And as they were walking under the basement, he wasn't looking at where he was going. And they had high, low ceilings and he was about to hit his head and a beam when he heard a man scream out, look out. And he, he explained further that the man turned around and said to him, young man, in this life, if you learn to stay low, you will have prevented a lot of bruises in your life. We have to learn to stay low. No matter what it is, we shouldn't be pumped and proud and push our step up, our chest up and, you know, Stay low. Stay humble. The brothers, let's stay humble as we go forward. Amen? The next one and the fifth one is my favorite. Only a life live, live for Christ really matters. My father taught me that one. I can still remember when I turned 12 years old. It was a sunny Sunday afternoon and my dad called me. He said, son, I need to speak to you. Normally when I hear that, that is trouble. It means I did something, or I have said something, and I'm going to get a whopping. That is typically it. Son, I need to talk to you. Whenever I hear that, it's going to be a whopping. You know, it's not America where, you know, you can't beat them. In Jamaica, you get a whopping. A good whopping. No mercy. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, son, I want to tell you something. You are of the age now where you, you need to make your own decision. You say, you cannot go to heaven based on my salvation. You have to make that decision for yourself. And you are of that age now. So I'm telling you this so that you become conscious to you. That you should be thinking about that. When it is, you're going to surrender your life to Christ. It took me a long time to make that decision. It took me four years after that to make that decision. Twenty years later, I'm still standing here talking to you today. But it was my dad taking the initiative to bring it to my attention. That boy, you need to make a decision at some point. It's not been easy. I've had my share of ups and downs. Disappointments and triumphs. But through it all, I can say for sure, without a doubt, that surrendering my life to Christ was the best decision I've made in my life. No doubt about it. He'll help us provide for our families. He'll keep them in perfect health. He's, he'll protect us from all harm and danger. Indeed, the Bible says we have to seek Him first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And everything else that we all seek in this life as men, whether we, we seek to do a good job at work, whether it is we seek to be good husbands to our wives, or good students in our school, or to be a good single man waiting for a woman, if we seek Christ first, he will bring everything else to us. No doubt about it. Amen? Amen. So in closing... I know I was pretty quick. 
I am fully aware that there are many of us here who didn't have the relationship that I had with my dad. Fully aware. It wasn't perfect, but it worked. I'm also aware that there are some of you who may have lost your dads. And this time of the year is a very difficult time because you look forward, you look back and you're like, oh man, I had this time with my dad and I really miss him. So it can be tough for you too. But Jesus himself, sorry, and there are others too who who may feel abandoned. Their dad was just never there. They just don't have any relationship with their dads. They feel as if they they have turned their back, his back on them. You know, in some cases they might have gone to other families. But you feel a sense of abandonment. And that's tough for anybody to bear. You know, Jesus said, when he was on the cross and the weight of the sins of the world was thrown upon him and he couldn't bear it and the Lord turned from him because he could not face it. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? It's a terrible thing when you feel like your father has abandoned you. And Jesus exemplified that. But don't be dismayed. You see, the Bible also says in Psalm 68, 5, that he's a God, he's a father to the fatherless. And that's something that we have to hold on to, that he is a father to the fatherless, which means whatever it is that you desire in a father, the Lord can provide it for you. You know, if you need a protector, he he can be that person. If you need somebody to provide for you, he can be that person. Whatever it is that you desire, the Lord can provide it for you. So remember that. He is a father to the fatherless. So as I close, for those of you who are here and your father is still around, make that effort today to call him. Make that effort to give him a call and say, Dad, happy Father's Day. Make the effort to call him and say, happy Father's Day. He may not have been a good dad, but that doesn't mean he has never been a dad in any capacity whatsoever. Sometimes we look, sometimes we are so caught up with what he didn't do that we forget what he did do. So please make that effort today. So finally, I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to give all of these men in here who are either fathers, grandfathers, stepfathers, uncles, brothers, Give them a big, big round of applause. And just say, listen, you go, boy. You go. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. No matter what life throws at you, brothers, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't set yourself short. Please don't. Keep your integrity. Amen?